0: I was just meditating on that psalm, um, Psalm 40, where it says that he reached into the mud and the mire and you know that, that that picture of salvation that when we are without Christ, that we are dead in our sins, that we are filthy in our sins and he reaches down, and He doesn't give us a lecture. He doesn't say, well, if you do X, Y, and Z, you can get out of there. He holds His hand down into the pit, and He pulls us out and sits us feet on a rock. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We love the picture of uh, Jesus coming and rescuing us. And, um, where we're going today um, is the final part of the prodigal son. We're going to be talking about the older son. We've been looking at this, probably the most famous, parable one of the most talked about, one of the most written about uh, parables um, that, that Jesus ever told. and then he told these parables, more are in the series on the parables, but we spent quite a bit of time in this one, specifically because I believe that Jesus is trying to really say some things, um, obviously, to the, to the audience that he had with him, but also to us, that he was speaking to things very profoundly to us. And today we're going to look at his older son and what God is trying to Speak to through His part of the story, um, and I think it's somewhat even the song that we that we heard the worship team, you know, "Worth It All," and, and 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 in that song, there's this glimpse of eternity, right? When I'm standing there, when I get there, when I'm in Your glory heavens, when I leave this life. And either the Lord will return and we will go up or we will all, uh, we're all going to see death and we are going to stand before Him. The Bible promises that one day we will individually stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives. That's really what the Bible says. So you can debate the scripture, you can tell and believe that," But that's what the Bible says that we are going to give an account. We're going to stand face to face with the one who can look piercingly through our heart and our soul, know the intentions of our thoughts and our actions, nothing will be hidden. We will not be able to wiggle our way, manipulate our way into any kind of thing. He will see right through everything. And we will give an account, and there's, there's a sobering reality to that. But there's also this mindset of, Lord, I want, I want to be ready for that day. When I'm there in your glorious presence and there will be a glorious time, especially, you know, we stand and we will get an account, but then there's the reality that we will get to be with Him forever in worship and love and adoration of Him and who He is and working in the eternal kingdom It's going to be glorious and be unlike anything any of us could imagine. But there's that sense of saying, Lord, help me to Remember that on a daily basis. Help me to remember salvation, the joy of salvation. Because a lot of times, and you are going to see with the older brother, we can we can remove ourselves so far we've been walking with the Lord that we sometimes lose the joy of our salvation. And we can forget. That's why in Revelation, the beginning of the book of Revelation, you have, you have these letters that Jesus is writing to these churches and ultimately to us. And to the church in Ephesus, he said, you have lost your first love. Right? And he says, "Go back to what you did before." In other words, what was your motivation back then? Remember when you had those revelations and you have those awakening moments of the love of God, and it touches your heart. Oh, maybe brings you to tears, but brings you to this joy of salvation. going, whoa! God saved me. I was really a wreck without Him. I was really away from Him, and He saved me and rescued me. Those moments of revelation that we have—that we say, "God, thank you, salvation." In this letter to the to the church in Ephesus, he said, You have forgotten your first love. He said, I, I know your deeds, and you're going through the motions, and you're, you're doing stuff. It's religious stuff, it's good stuff. Maybe you're feeding the poor, maybe you're helping people, maybe you're. But he says, You know what? At some point, it has become like work driven and duty driven. There's really not a lot of joy. You're just kind of going through the motions, and it looks so good. He goes, I know your works. And it's okay that you're doing. You should be doing. That, but what's the motivation? Why are you doing what you're doing? I and mean, because "You've you've left your first love. It's like when we fall in love with someone. Married folks here, and and sometimes we can forget what we loved about that person, and we can just kind of get go and just kind of do life and go, ah, whatever, eh." And we can treat our relationship with the Lord that way. Yeah, yeah, Christmas he came, Easter he died and rose again, blah, 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 blah. You know, and we can do whatever. Don't lose the awe, the wonder, and the love and the passion. That's what we're going to see in the older son. And so, in, these, in this parable in Luke 15, Jesus starts by right saying, telling them two stories before he tells the product to sign. You look at those first. But again, let's look at the audience. This is the tax focus and sinners were all drawing near to him. that beautiful picture, they were coming here, they wanted to hear what he had to say. I love that sinners were being drawn to him. I'm saying, if we're following Christ, I want people to be drawn here. I want them to understand the love of Christ. And yes, Jesus, I love you, but I love you. And not I believe you, it's speaking the truth and love, right? And not just the love without truth, but not the truth. Not just speaking the truth without love, if that makes sense. And so he has these people here that are drawn to him, and then there's another group that's there, the Pharisees and scribes, the number saying this man, is sinners and eaves. Now, so you have two groups there, and Jesus is telling these stories, and basically he's talking to us and saying, you were once sinners or you're very religious. And there's two things I'm going to tell you a story about who God is. And to guard your heart. And so he t- tells the story about the lost sheep, right? And the, and, the, and the the shepherd leaves the 99. He goes and he finds the sheep and he rejoices that he found. And he says there was a lady that lost his coin man understand the coin was worth about a day's wage, so it wasn't a, a grand amount of money, but there's some things that are more valuable than just monetary things. And so she searches the house and listens. She's turning furniture over to she finds the coin and she rejoices. And Jesus is making a statement here. He says, there is worship, there's celebration in heaven before the angels. and that." is found on that coin. you're like a sheep, you're like a coin, and God is in search. And what does Jesus say in Luke 19 Jesus, the Son of Man comes to seek and lost, and he encounters that And so these three characters in the story that he gets to in the prodigal son, Jesus is setting up and then he tells the prodigal son there's father, there's his young son and there's this older son. Father, obviously, Jesus is saying, you know, Yahweh, God, Almighty God, He's really a loving Father, and He's trying to paint a picture of why Jesus came to say, yes, He should be honored and and, and a holy fear and reverence to Him, but He's also a loving Father, and He's the Father in the story, and we see the Father's response to allow. of their young kids says, "Give me my inheritance, give me what's coming to me." And he went out and he wasted money. And he the Father gave it to him. And sometimes, in Jesus' case, sometimes God will let you be God of your own life. And we see the Son to become God of his own life, and he just wrecks it completely. Sometimes, in God, God's God and he will allow you to be God of your own life so that you can realize you do allow the God of your God. And he wants to be God. He wants to be the Lord of your life because so he has a better plan for you. And we see his heart respond when that comes home. He throws his arms around, him the kid smells like a pig. He is dirty. lost to everything and wild living and partying and everything imaginable. This father embraces him and says, "Get the robe. Get the ring. Get the sandals." The son who was lost is found. We see his heart. We see. Then we talk about the younger son, and again, basically, is I think I'm a better God than you are, God. And sometimes we're like that when we're away from God. We are calling the shots of our own life. I can do a better job, and he goes away, and we see what happens. he does a horrible job, and God, he comes home and feels shame He feels condemned. He first, I'll just, what did he the father? I'll just be a slave in your house. I just let me be a slave. Uh, your slaves have better than me. I'll just be a slave in your house, and the father says no. So this boy has a, he's wrestling with who the father is, and. And Jesus kind of gets God, when you respond to God, this heart is home for being compassionate. and love, this love is huge. Interestingly enough, the word prodigal, and Timothy Keller is a pastor and an author. He wrote the prodigal, God. The word prodigal has a dual meaning. And experience, here as we look at this story, the first one is the obvious one, because we always have it upon the sun, right? It's <laughs> spending recklessly or wastefully. That's what he did, right? But there's a second definition of prodigal. It means giving something on a lavish scale. And so there's a prodigal, there's the son, because also Jesus is saying, God gives on a lavish scale his grace and his mercy and his love. To give something on a lavish scale means that you didn't do anything to earn it, you didn't do anything to, to be better, to get it. It's just that it's just poured out to you. And so Jesus, and that's how the Pharisees, they're a little bit offended by this to say, you the God, you know, we're, we're rule followers, and God is like saying, yeah, I understand you guys are rule followers, but you have forgotten about God's love and mercy and grace it's way bigger. And so you have, yes, sinning recklessly, but you also have hidden that a Father. So let's read through this story very, very quickly, and then we're going to talk about the older son. So Luke 15, starting in verse 11, Jesus continued. There's a man who had two sons. The only one said to his father, "Father, give you my share of the estates And he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Verse 15. So he went, and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stump with pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to a sense in a revelation of awakening, he said, How of my father's hired servants have he to spare? Here I am, starving to death. Verse 18, next slide. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's, he's repentant. He realizes it. He repents. Make me like one of the hard children. So he got up. And there's the action. Sometimes we've got to go more than just being sorry. We need to get up. We the word death had. We need to move toward the Lord. He got up. And he moved towards, toward his father. And he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, here's the lavish love of God. He, while he was a long way off, his father did what? Did he have his arms crossed? And was he angry? No, his father saw him Was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Verse 21, The son said to him, Father, you the be heard speech. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to He's quit. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Just giving him identity. And saying, you are mine put a ring on his finger, stand on this thing. bring the fat, the fat and fill it this is a huge part of this is a strategy the father's saying throw the biggest party that we can throw it's going to cost a lot of money and we're going to do it let's have a feast and celebrate this is more than fire of the grill we're going to have a few hot dogs and hamburgers okay Back in this day, this was a seat. This was where you would call friends. That's the idea. When when the when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, and the woman finds the, the coin, it says that they call their friends and they come celebrate. Again, this is not like a mass catch. Found it, thanks, or found it, thx. Can you not write thank you, please? Because it's kind of hard to add a couple letters, thx, thanks? Um, wow, that's heartfelt. Um, you what they're saying is this will get you out of This is We're going to leverage a lot of stuff because this lost one was found. Verse 24, For the son of mine was dead and is alive and he lost and he found. So they began to celebrate. Then verse 25, here's where we're going today. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. There's a party happening in the house. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your, your brother was coming. And your father was killed with fattened calf because he passed him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. which want you see what's going on here, the dynamics that are happening here. He's angry. He's not going to go in. The father comes out to him. So there's a move of the father being to be able to him. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been what? What's it say up there? Slaving. Interesting. It, it's two in your of words. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders for the yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends, but this son of yours, you your property. This son of yours, he's not even calling you my brother, this son of yours. It's always the other, you know, you know when the when child's disobedient, it's always the spouse's kid, right? <laughs> Honey, this son of yours. I don't know what's going on here, but he's taken after you today. Don't say that either. Bad Valentine. It's bad news. The son just angry. With you spent it on prostitutes. He was fantastic. My son, if said you are always with me, everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother who was just dead and he's alive and He was lost. Sound. So a lot of times we look at the father and we get the father we look at the younger son and we see them as simple students. You know, there's not a lot of talk about the older brother. And Jesus, again, He's looking at these religious people of the day. Church people. And God is definitely trying to paint a deep trying to paint through the story God's amazing grace His mercy toward those who are lost. lost. But Jesus is also—he puts the older brother in there for a purpose. Nothing is by accident of why Jesus is saying this, right? So we're going to take a look at him over the next few minutes. We're going to ask the Lord what He's speaking. I encourage you, Lord, what are You saying to me through this story, through this older son? Because although He never left the home physically. It's obvious that he has this dysfunctional relationship with his father and with his brother. Who does he represent? He represents many religious and moral people who maybe haven't wasted their life on wild living like the like the younger brother. That's what, and he's talking to the religious folks, these Pharisees who were remember technical law keepers. They memorized the law. They, they, you know, they they memorized all these scriptures, and so they were technical lawkeepers. Again, that's why Jesus would call them out in their heart. And so they weren't. They're not really tempted to wild living. You know, drugs and women and alcohol. All that. So that, that's really not their temptation. It's people that have been around a long time. They've been attending church for a long time. They're in God's house. Like this kid, this is older brother, he's in the Father's house, but they have forgotten how Christ has even rescued them. And they have become self-centered. And when it comes to celebrating what God is doing in the lives of lost people, they don't rejoice. And if we're not careful, we can become the older brother. Because again, what is Jesus trying to say in all three? the stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and this story. Remember, especially the lost sheep. If you, if it's, if it's subtle, and if you're not looking for it, you will forget. And I said this to again, the, the shepherd leaves the 99 early to go to the lost. But he, he says this, and Jesus is on purpose in saying this. He leaves the 99 in open country. Normally, a shepherd would, if he had a lost sheep, he would he would put them in their pen, Right? so that wolves, so that predators couldn't get to him. Jesus says, the 99 are left in the open country and he goes and looks for the one. He finds the one, he puts them on his shoulder. What are the 99? They're lost, right? They're in their little religious group over there and they don't even realize the shepherd has left. They should have been following along. They should have been a part of helping him find in some way." But they're all over there. And they don't even realize they're an open country and they're open to predators. And Jesus says, what he's saying is he's Pharisees in the room and you guys don't even realize they're lost, but you're lost too. You've gotten so religious, you have forgotten joy. And so let's look at the characteristics of the older son. So after working all day in the field, the older brother arrives at the house, he hears the celebration, hears the party, the dancing, when he learned the party was before his younger brother's return, he became angry and he refuses to go into the celebration. And in his attitude, in his statement, we're going to find three characteristics. Let's look at the first one. An angry, grumbling, self-centered spirit. Verse 28 tells us that he became angry. The word here uses that means it's more than just being on a little bit It's Actually, the connotation is he flew into a rage. I cannot believe that you would do this for him. When his father came out to plead with him to join the party, he grumbled and he complained. I've never left home. I've never spent my money on prostitutes and you've never even given me a goat and you're giving him the fat and calf. easy for people who have been in the church for a long time to get angry, maybe jealous, when the church starts paying attention to new people. And that's the older brother syndrome here. You can recognize an older brother Christian because they are quick to grumble and complain when their personal preferences aren't being catered to. you're getting offended or your toes are getting stepped on, and you might want to ask the Lord to help you. What about me? That's what he's saying. What about me? What's in this for me? You do this. What about me, dad What about what's in it for me? You see, the church, we, it, 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 we have messed the point in the mission when we think the church is for us. It isn't. It is to follow Christ and His example. He says, I want you to be my followers. You're not leading. I'm, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you to love, to serve, to give, and to lay down your life and be on mission with me to seek and save the lost. And then that's what Jesus said. After this whole chapter, of the can the make you to seek and save the lost. That's His mission we get into trouble when it becomes me-centered instead of Christ and others But it's subtle. We must guard our hearts against grumbling, complaining, and griping. And I've heard this before a Now, I don't mean to be critical, but I don't mean to complain, however, you know what's coming. A complaint. I'm not trying to be overly critical. Yes, you are, because you're about to say something that's going to be overly critical. And so sometimes they try to soften it. Sometimes it can just be straight up gossip, grumbling, and complaining to other people that will lend an ear. It's dangerous. What does James five say about it? Don't grumble. Now go back. It's in the previous one. There you go. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge standing at the door very sobering and complaining. sometimes it's, we do it in the form of, of maybe something very spiritual like a request prayer request or praying about something and it can be my heart, I, I, I've got a grumbling complaining spirit and James is saying you better check your heart because the, the, the judge is at the door and he will judge complaining. and, 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 and grumbling. don't do it So here's the thing about the son. People like him, the father loves him and he invites him into the party, right? Sometimes if you'd rather be miserable sitting on the outside with their arms crossed, they've forgotten about love. They've forgotten about their own love you. And they just find fault about everything that's going on. I don't like the music. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too, cold, it's too this, it's too that. Um, and, and, it, and it's just this spirit that just kind of comes over them. And it can be subtle, and it can happen to any of us, any of us. And I say this: it's say guard our hearts, or like the Pharisees, those people. We see those people coming into the church, whatever those people would be. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. But whatever that is, and Jesus is saying, This is a This should be a celebration. people have an unholy sense of ownership. Don't change anything. This is my church. Sometimes angry to the point of confrontation. And this guy, this young, this older son is confronting his father. And Jesus been father's God, and it's almost like a confrontation when things don't go their way. Don't change anything. There's one pastor they share before, again, um, he kind of lived in a very rough up had a very wild life, and then God brought him, and then later on he became a pastor, but when he first became a Christian, he was going to a small little church, and he began to invite all his wild and crazy friends to church live him. Well, in a small church, and, 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 and people are not used to this, this is messing everything up. They're coming in, they're... You know, they're, they're doing whatever they do. They're you know, out in the parking lot. They want not coffee like everybody else. They might be saying something. And it's making people uncomfortable. And this little lady came up to him and she said, You have ruined my church. And he said, Where do you want me to bring them? What do you want us to do with them? He said, God has saved me and so I have to invite him. So when changes are made, people are angry, and we fight battles. And again, a few weeks ago, when I talked about unity, you know, people—I you know, I talked about real battles in churches. You know, people that leave the church because they change the It Really happens. Change the lighting, chairs, cues, whatever you want to say, whatever it is. People will fight massive battles and get angry over the silliest thing When you have gotten that older brother syndrome. And Jesus is calling us out of that. There are lives that need the God, that people's eternity are at stake. So guard our hearts, guard against bitterness. And Jesus is saying that, come out of that. Number two, is the next characteristic. His pride in his morality and good works. In verse 29, the older brother focuses on his own morality and good works and then compares to his brother's wickedness. You listen to his focus on me, myself, and I said, all these years, I've been what? Slaving for you. Right? Isn't it interesting to contrast? What did the younger son say when he was coming home? I will say to my father, I will be your what? Slave. He's content to be a slave in the father's house. The other brother, he's in the father's house, and he feels like a slave. I've been slaving for you. You, I, there's no joy. I never disobeyed you. Really? Really? Are you sure about that? Again, we can be technical law and get- keepers. That's why Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, He, uh, he calls us out with our heart. He said, you have heard itself. Don't commit adultery. And all the religious people are going, to never have. Nope, not for a second. Never. He said, you I tell you, if you look at a woman who's lusting and poverty, you have committed adultery with her. and then all of a sudden they're not going to righteous man. So you can technically keep the law, but where's your heart? And so this this voice, this, 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 you know, he's saying to his father, I've never disobeyed you. Technically, I've never disobeyed you. Here, he's miserable, he's joyless, he's blaming, I've never disobeyed you. You never gave me a vote to like could party with my friends. Then he compares himself to his brother, and this son of yours goes off and he spends his money on wild living prostitutes. What did he say? I'm better, and I deserve more. I'm better than him. Give me what's mine. The older brother, spirit, we are in danger when we start comparing ourselves to other sinners and sin. Again, those people. Well, I don't struggle with that, and so I'm better. It's easiest for us to look at those people who maybe have, they're, they're, they struggle with something that's more open and visible to everyone. And then we think that we're better than them. Remember, they're secret sins. That's what Jesus said, You've heard said this, but how about your heart? Sins about jealousy, pride, anger, resentment, lust. And Jesus says, Although it might not be open, where's your heart? And then Luke 18, he tells this story, and this is somewhat in the same kind of context that Jesus told this story. To some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. And so we have these people, this is kind of an audience where these people were confident in their own righteousness, and, and they scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. Again, Jesus' faiths. Look, you know, look at the contrast. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you God that I am not a sinner like everyone else. He probably spoke like that too. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly a lot like that test collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my. I mean, he is just pulling out the resume before God and say, you think I'm off you, But the tax collector stood a distance, he did not even look at his eyes, and to heaven as he prayed, Instead, he beat and said, and to saying God, be merciful to me, the sinner." I tell you, Jesus says, "This then are not the Pharisee to return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." I don't know about you, but I'd rather be justified by God. Just saying. The way for that not to happen is to rely on your own goodness and morality and to compare yourself to others. And then three is the next characteristic. It was a wrong understanding of grace. He was insulting his old brother because he really thought he deserved better than the younger son. right? He thought he deserved the fat and calf or at least to go. He was offended because he thought his brother deserved less. After all, he had been serving in the field and he had kept all the rules while the brother was off living it up and it was, in his mind this just is, isn't right. Because older brother Christians are big on keeping score. They have the church members who have been working in the church for many years and they think that they deserve something more than those who just are in here and I, 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 I deserve more. Anytime you start talking about what you deserve, you, you leave the realm of grace and you get into human performance. Matthew twenty, Jesus tells another parable about the nature of God's grace, and the story tells a, of a master. We'll read it part of it in a moment. This master who sends out workers to work in his vineyard—you'll you, you, recognize in a moment—he agreed to pay his workers one day's wage. Whoever works for me, I'll give you one day's wage for their work. So. They started working, some of them at sunrise. At 9 a.m. he sends other workers to help. Then at noon, another batch. Then at 3, some more. Then right before 20 time, he hires some more. And they only work for just a a short bit of time. Finally, the day is over, the whistle blows, and the time for the workers to receive their wages. So let's pick up the story, Matthew 20, starting in verse 8. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last worker first. When those hired at five o'clock paid, each received full day's wage. This is to say, supposed to the agreement. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they could receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. Again, like the agreement. First of all, This is the next. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people where he's going. Those people worked only an hour. And yet you paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't have to unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual ways? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last week, the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm so kind to others? See what Jesus is trying to say here. Because if you read that story and it bugs you that the people at the end of the day got the same amount of pay and you feel like it's unfair, you have a wrong understanding of grace. Remember the definition of prodigal. extravagant wow that give you. God's grace, we can't remember his mercy. We can't remember his love. He just gives. And so Jesus, again, this audience tax collectors centered for us were the Pharisees. They were religious people who were full of their own sense of goodness. They hated tax collectors like Zacchaeus and Matthew. And you know, whenever they'd see a tax they would walk on the other side of the road. And so, you know, that person was out uh, and standing around and just was bugging them that Jesus is painting God as a father who received sinners and lavished his grace upon them. And so they were trying to earn through their morality and their good works God's accepting Jesus who trying to teach them that they needed grace too your morality is not going to help you so we can act like the older brothers and sisters. we can know the Lord for years and be a proud and have a proud sense of our own religious purity that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be moral people, you understand? But they put their morality up and saying, look at my resume of morality now accept me. And Jesus has got it all backwards. We say, I am undeserving. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace. I receive your love. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit giving me strength, I can be moral and I can do what you've called me to do. Sometimes we've forgotten that it, what it was like to be lost and be found, and we've forgotten that we need Jesus every day. That's why Jesus said, "Take up the cross every day." remember the cross every day. Remember His love. Remember that you couldn't do it. If you could do it if somehow you your morality kicked in. The cross would not have needed to happen. Remember the cross. What's the important here, Jesus, that they realize their need of Him? And God's grace available to anyone who comes to Him in repentance. And unfortunately, the church can, if we're not careful, get full of older brothers. And it's because of that many churches die. Again, fights about carpet, coffee, lighting, music styles. Silly things have become on the forefront issue when we forget lost people. And we just have, there's nothing in us that tenderizes our heart, that there might be somebody lost far away from God that needs Jesus desperately. It's just that you didn't do it my way and I'm angry. Forget them. Forget the lost. I know that they're dying and going to hell, but forget them. What about me? That's his older brother. Paul reminds us in Philippians, he said, it's not about me. He says, follow the example of Christ gave His life, laid down His life, considering others above yourself. So are you an older brother? Are you becoming an older brother? It's easy again to think about other people, but what about me? Look at your own hearts. I want you to look at the words, and I'm going to close with this. Look at the words of the Father to the older brother as we close. So as he ran to meet the younger son, remember, he runs to him. His older brother's sitting outside the party, and he crosses arms. He's mad. I don't care. I, I'd rather my brother. I'd rather him die out there. I, I, don't, I don't care. What about me? What, what, what was that for me? As he's out there, sulking. As the father went to the younger son, he goes out to the older brother, and he lovingly puts his arm around him. He doesn't scold him, which I think is beautiful. But well, let's look at what he says. He said, "You've always been with me," which is saying, "I love you, not what you can. I love you for you, not what for what you can do for me. I don't love your morality." I don't love you for your morality. I don't love you for your good work. I love you for you. I've created you. I love you because I want to be with you. You've always been with me. I love you. It's not your work that makes you valuable. And he's saying, son, you get me. That's why right. it says about God that, that, that He is our exceeding great reward. Jesus is our reward. If we, we, we get nothing else in this life see like Jesus, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. He's our reward. And we do we do work, again, not not, not out of duty, not out of getting His favor, but we do work because we just simply love Him and out of the fruit of that, we've followed him. And this voice, he, as he said, I'll slay for you. See, the joy has gone. He's left his first love. It's been replaced by joyless work that leads to, I deserve. What about me? So I love you. You've always been with me. Next, the Father says this, number two All that I had is yours. All that I have is yours. Don't you realize, son, that you still have an inheritance. just for my son. You, I, you still have my identity. You have forgotten that you're a son or a daughter. Remember what he said? He said, I've been slaving. I've become a slave in my house. The other boy says, I'm content to be a slave. And this guy is saying, I am a slave. And he's like, no, you're a son. You've forgotten. They both have forgotten that they were sons. One was in shame saying, I'll just be a slave. I'm content. The other one is, I've been slaving. so you see the difference because they're both lost. They've both forgotten. All that I have is yours. All my inheritance, everything that I have is yours. You get me, you get eternal life. Remember the joy of that. And then three. I love that so we have stuff we had to celebrate. There was no other choice we, because his brother yours is dead. and alive. He's lost in his intent. He came. Wake up, older son. He invited him into the party. Please come into the party because I want to remind you of my heart. This extravagant love for this younger son is what I feel for you too, but you just have forgotten. That's what Jesus is saying. This is I came. This is my mission. This is should be the the, the the mission of the church. Don't forget. Don't forget. Remember that you two were lost, and the heaven's party when you came to salvation. There was a the party for you once too. You just have forgotten. That's why we should never forget our own lostness. And what the psalmist said in Psalm 40, I remember He reached into the mud mire and He picked me up and He set my feet up on the rock and He cleaned me and He made me His own. I was lost and now I'm found. Thank you, Jesus. Don't lose the all on the wonder. I don't care if you've been a Christian forever. Don't lose the awe the wonder of the cross and the mission of Christ. And now that we're we have been a part of that mission. We're now, we're a part of the mission to reach out to the lost. And it should be great joy to love and to serve and lay our lives down and I want to see more people come to know Christ. I want to see more lives transformed by the power of Jesus. I want to live life celebrating that the fact that people are coming and they're getting saved and they're coming to know Jesus, we should be in a constant place of celebrating. It's interesting how the story ends. We're left hanging, aren't we? Jesus doesn't tell us what happens. Does the older brother will walk away? Does he say, "Forgive"? I'm not going in there. And does he storm off into the field? Or does he uncross his arms as he adapts his armor and he says, "Come on in," and he begins to let go of bitterness, he begins to let go of pride, he begins to let go, and he comes in, and maybe that's a beautiful pet i tell you, I'm a hopeless romantic. I, I love nice endings. I hate bad endings. If you see a movie or you read a book and have a horrible ending, do not recommend it to me. Okay? The only way I'll make an exception that is if it's a true story. You know, and I need to have some sort of redemptive qualities So do not ever do that to me. It's at the end of the movie and it's like, and they all die. thank you for that. But I, I love to think that this moment that he lets go as he repents of his own sin just like the younger son and can you imagine the picture of him walking in and him embracing his little brother and weeping over him and saying I'm so glad you're home I'm so sorry that I was mad at you that's the way I would have ended this time. but Jesus purposely doesn't do that I think he's saying religious person older person older brother Christian what will your heart be because the Father's pleading with you too and he's inviting you into a place to live when we corporately worship so let us, let's, let's, let's have a party and celebrate let's reach out and let's be on mission with Jesus he's with me what will your response be guard your heart and maybe you've become like an older brother Christian. Maybe you're in the process. Maybe there's some things that you complain about. Maybe there's things that you've been bitter about. Maybe there's battles that you've fought. And you're like, oh, God, thank you for showing that to me. Like, thank you for opening my heart. Whatever that is, like, do business with the Father. He's with you. He's had his hand out extended to me. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. Lord, God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that wherever we find ourselves, um, And I walk with you, Lord. Maybe there's today. Maybe there's some like younger brothers that here today. You walked away from the Lord. You're not walking with the Lord. You kind of become god of your own life. And today, you just need to know that the Father is speaking to you. He is Holy Spirit. to love you. He wants to lavish love on you. He has a better plan for your life than you being God. He wants to be God of you, not to take away your joy, but actually give you the greatest joy and contentment and peace you've ever known in walking with Jesus. So if that's you today, I encourage you to simply, just in faith, you just respond to, Lord, I, I give you my heart in you my life. And you just know when you make a step like that, there is rejoicing over your life because you are loved by him. And Lord, I pray today too for the older brother Christians. Lord, again, that's not a chronological thing. That's not just old people. That's, that can be people that just maybe been saved for five years and they've made it about themselves. And we can all walk in that. If we're not Help us to guard our hearts. Help us to celebrate with you, God, for what you're doing on the earth. Help us to be a part of the vision and mission of Jesus so we can save the lost. Help us to never forget why you created us, why you saved us. And Lord, also that we would never forget that one day we will stand before you we will give an account over how we lived our lives. with a joyless, religious morality, duty? Did we forget? Did we only give of ourselves when we agree. Did we only give up our time and our resources when we were happy? But we are not going to give when we don't like it, and it's not about us that forgive us. Help us to guard our hearts. Help us to be on mission with you. Help us to remain in the joy of our salvation to remember our first love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.